Hello, everyone. It's Jilly. Welcome back to the INFJ Growth Podcast. We are here for our weekly Monday episode. And in season two, we are exploring romantic relationships for INFJs. In last Monday's episode, we spoke about attachment needs and that these are universal for all humans. And in romantic relationships specifically, it's very important that we have a sense of emotional safety and security with our partners, that we feel validated and valued by our partners, that we have emotional connection and intimacy, and that we can be vulnerable and share parts of ourselves while being able to trust the other person to not use that information to hurt us or to try to manipulate us in some way. And INFJs can be susceptible to that for a variety of reasons, but we will explore some of those today when we look at attachment styles. So all humans require these attachment needs to be met in order to be emotionally healthy. And the way that we go about getting those needs met is what is referred to as attachment styles. So you might have heard of these before, but I'm going to go over them in case you haven't. And we're going to look at the ways that INFJs often will attach in relationships and also the types of partners that we tend to match with and attract. And sometimes we can get into unhealthy patterns with our relationships depending on our attachment style and the attachment style of our partners. So the the names of the four attachment styles are secure, anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. If we look at secure attachment, and with each of these, there's two different aspects. The first aspect is the anxiety level of the, the person with the attachment type. And then the second aspect is the avoidance level. So in people who have a secure attachment, they have low levels of anxiety and low levels of avoidance. So people with a secure attachment, they are comfortable with emotional intimacy and feeling connected with their partners. They don't have high levels of anxiety, nor do they feel avoidant or that they need to be protected from emotional connection and intimacy. They're able to communicate their needs in a healthy way. They are not overly triggered by fears of rejection or if their partner pulls away for some reason. And they are able to be empathetic and responsive and supportive of their partner's emotional needs. So they they have a secure base and they are able to be emotionally resilient and be able to provide support to their partners as well in a way that feels mutually beneficial and healthy. So the next type is anxious attachment. These people have high levels of anxiety and low levels of avoidance. So people with an anxious attachment, they very much desire emotional connection and intimacy, and they are very fearful of abandonment or if their partner pulls away or if their partner possibly rejects them or if they perceive rejection. That can be very triggering for people who have an anxious attachment type, and they are a lot more likely to be hypervigilant to signs of their partner pulling away. They're likely to be preoccupied or analytical with their partner and looking for signs of possible abandonment. And when they feel a partner pulling away, they also will try to establish contact in the same way that a secure attachment would, but they're a lot harder to reassure and they're a lot harder to to comfort. So it, it might help them to feel reassured initially if they reach out to a partner and the partner gives them reassurance, but they are a lot more likely to feel distressed and hard to, to reassure. And we can go into some reasons for that in a little bit. 
People who have an avoidant attachment style, they have low levels of anxiety, but high levels of avoidance. So they, it is what it sounds like for both anxious and avoidant. They're uncomfortable with intimacy. They are a lot more likely to suppress their emotions and to be critical and dismissive of other people's emotions. They kind of keep people at arm's length. They value their independence and their freedom. And they are a lot more likely to feel stifled or suffocated by other people having attachment needs or verbalizing them. And they are more likely to pull away and to to try to distance themselves and to put up strong boundaries between themselves and other people so that they don't have to feel invested. And avoidant attachment types are often fearful of commitment, but they don't necessarily express it in that way. They're more likely to just not commit or to to not communicate about it. So people who have an anxious attachment style, they are more likely to seek out connection and reassurance, and they struggle with boundaries, but they have connection. Whereas people who have an avoidant attachment type, they are more likely to pull away and they have strong boundaries and low levels of intimacy and connection. And then the last type is called either disorganized or fearful avoidant is another name for it. They have high levels of anxiety and high levels of avoidance. This attachment style is a lot less common. Oh, I forgot to say. So for secure, it's 50% of people. Anxious is about 20%. Avoidant is 25%. And then disorganized is 3 to 5%. With disorganized, they it's this dual push-pull dynamic where sometimes they'll want to be close and then sometimes they'll feel afraid and push people away. They Their attachment style is marked by a significant fear of their partner. And people who have disorganized attachment often had to endure childhood trauma. They were not able to count on their caregivers consistently for care. So it, at times they might seek out connection, but they are also very fearful of it. So they they often struggle with not trusting their partners or with not really understanding how emotional dynamics work in relationships. And they're a lot more likely to feel shameful and to have a low self-esteem and a low sense of self-worth. So people who have disorganized attachment really struggle with relationships because the, the type of dynamic, the way they describe it is like, come here, go away, come here, go away. They they really struggle with that push-pull and not knowing, not understanding their own emotions, not knowing how to regulate themselves. They often struggle with emotional regulation and sometimes they'll push their partners away and then other times they want them close. So they they desire intimacy and connection, but they are simultaneously very fearful of it. So it, it can be hard to be in a relationship with this type of person sometimes if the other partner has an anxious or an avoidant attachment style, because they can be triggering to one another. So it, it's important to to know your attachment style and to know the attachment style of your partner, because if you understand the the dynamics and the the relationship between each of you trying to get your needs met, it can give you a lot of different tools to be able to connect with one another in a way that feels safe and in a way that feels mutually fulfilling and and healthy for one another. And I wanted to share a little bit about the history of this because I think it's really interesting and it helps to contextualize where these attachment styles come from. So this was researched in the 70s by Mary Ainsworth, and it was built on the psychologist John Bowlby's research prior to that. 
that they did this experiment called the strange situation. And they examined mothers and infants and they looked at the ways that infants responded to their mothers leaving briefly. So they would have the mother and an infant come into this room and the child would go play and the mom would leave for a few minutes and they would watch to see how the child responded to the mother leaving and then also how they responded when she came back. So infants who had a secure attachment felt comfortable enough to go out on their own and to play with the toys. When the mother left, they felt distressed and they cried. And then when she came back, they were able to be reassured and they were able to be comforted to the point that they could self-soothe and then go out and feel comfortable playing again. The infants who had an anxious attachment were pretty stressed from the moment that they came into the room. When the mother left, they became very agitated, despondent, very dysregulated and upset. And when the mother came back, they were initially happy, but then quickly they became ambivalent and they sometimes would even try to punish the mother, like get in her face and be agitated or like slap her or punch her. And that's what was so interesting is because they were distressed by her leaving, but they were not overly comforted when she came back. And then avoidant attachment for those babies when the they came in with the mother, they were not very responsive to her from the beginning. When she left, they acted like nothing had happened and they were not as distressed, at least from the outside looking in. And when the, the mother came back, they didn't respond at all. So from the outside, these infants did not appear distressed, but when they measured their cortisol levels and their heart rates, they were just as distressed as the babies who had an anxious attachment. And then infants who had a disorganized attachment, they didn't really fit with any mold. They were sometimes uncomfortable going out and playing in the first place. Sometimes they acted distressed. Sometimes they didn't. It was hard to fit them into a category. And with disorganized, that research didn't come about till much later. Initially, they only noticed the the three attachment styles. So I, I say all of that because it, it helps us to understand the ways that we interact with our romantic partners. And there's been a ton of research supporting that the way that we were raised and the way that our needs were tended to very early in life and in infancy, the relationship that we had with our caregivers and how safe we felt with them, whether our needs would be met, research very strongly shows that that determines our attachment style and that the ways that our needs were met or not met by our caregivers is consistent with the ways that we relate to romantic partners in our adult life. So this becomes really interesting when we look at the ways that we relate to other people as adults. And research shows that our attachment styles are determined in infancy. They are also shaped throughout early life and sometimes even throughout adult life. But typically, they do stay pretty consistent across the lifespan. So it becomes really interesting when we look at the attachment style that we have and then also the, the attachment style of the, the partners that we typically attract and the people who we typically date or marry in romantic relationships. INFJs, in my experience, are more likely to have an anxious attachment. There's a couple different reasons for that. With people who have anxious attachment, they typically are very 
aware of what's going on with their partner. They're very quick to detect any potentially pulling away or any signs that their partner is disengaged. They are very in tune with their partner's emotions and the ways that they express those emotions. And they are very quick to look for the underlying reason or to analyze or to try to figure out why is this person doing this thing? And if we think about INFJs, that really tunes into our cognitive functions. So with extroverted feeling, we are very in tune with other people's emotions. We can detect very small nuances and changes in the ways that other people are communicating or expressing themselves. And then with our the combination of our introverted intuition and our introverted thinking, we look for the underlying meaning of what is the reason that someone acted this way or said this thing or the reason they had that tone of voice. And sometimes we can also get into analysis and looking for answers, looking for certainty with our introverted thinking. And then we kind of throw in this this fearful component of assuming the worst, fearing abandonment, fearing that this person's going to reject us, fearing that they are not connected to us anymore, that they don't love us. And the interesting thing is that even people who have a secure attachment are distressed if there's a rift or a rupture in the the safety of their romantic relationship. But the, the difference between a secure attachment and an anxious attachment is that someone with a secure attachment typically can communicate their their distress in a way that is constructive and healthy, and they can be reassured if they express feeling insecurity. Whereas people who have an anxious attachment, they often struggle with communicating their anxiety and their insecurity in a way that's constructive and healthy. And they are harder to reassure, or if they are reassured, it's often just for a brief moment, and then their anxiety flares right back up again. So in people who have anxious attachment, instead of communicating their needs in a healthy and constructive way, people with anxious attachment are more likely to engage in what is called protest behaviors. So protest behaviors are attempts that we make to to activate and to move towards connection, but often it's not done in a constructive way. So an example of a protest behavior would be being passive aggressive and being upset with someone, but not telling them the reason why and expecting them to kind of guess or to read their read our minds. Sometimes we can play games with people. We can pretend like we don't care. Or we can pretend like we aren't invested in the relationship, but really we're just doing it to try to make the other person pursue us or to to try to initiate contact with us. Sometimes we can lash out or be accusatory or become upset and not express it in a healthy way. Sometimes we can kind of keep track of maybe the last time a person texted us so that we respond not too soon. We can be very fearful that we're going to lose the relationship if we don't act in a certain way. And a huge determinant of how these behaviors play out is the attachment of the the partner who we're with. And it's kind of counterintuitive because you might think that people who have an avoidant attachment would pair well with people who also have an avoidant attachment. But it tends to be that 
those people are so disinvested and so disconnected from their emotions and the emotions of their partner that they there's not enough going to to keep them together. On the other hand, you might think that people who have an anxious attachment might attract other people who have an anxious attachment. And of course, sometimes that can be the case, but research shows very definitively that it's the opposite. People who have an anxious attachment are more likely to attract and be in relationships with people who have an avoidant attachment. And this can create this push-pull dynamic where the person who has an anxious attachment feels triggered by the person who has an avoidant attachment, and they seek to reestablish connection and intimacy by turning towards and trying to close the gap between you and this other person. And by pursuing this other person in an effort to, to quell your own anxiety, the person with the avoidant attachment can feel like it's too much and they will withdraw and they will try to deactivate to distance themselves emotionally from the anxious partner which of course then triggers the anxious partner to feel more anxious. And it it just creates this anxious avoidant trap is what it's called, where the avoidant partner is constantly distancing because they don't want their independence or their freedom impinged on. They often will be very critical or dismissive of the anxious partner's attempts for security or to, to soothe their anxiety. They will often be very fearful or resistant to commitment. They can be very rigid with boundaries and relationship rules. And they are often the ones who control the the speed of the relationship and the the communication frequency because it seems so counterintuitive, but they they want to be pursued because it puts the control on them. So they often will be the ones who are in control of the relationship, whereas the person who has the anxious attachment feels stressed constantly and analyzing why the avoidant partner is not getting back to them or why are they not giving them any emotional validation, why they don't feel safe emotionally with this partner or analyzing the reasons why and questioning, is this person going to leave me? Is this person actually invested in this relationship? People who have avoidant attachments will often send mixed signals where they will say that they're invested in the relationship, but their behavior shows a different story. And when the anxious partner, even if they are making attempts to connect in a healthy way, if they are rebuffed constantly by the avoidant partner, eventually their anxiety is going to get really, really high. And often they will have an outburst or they will lash out or they will finally stop people pleasing and express their needs and then sometimes the avoidant partner will come back around and invest just enough attention or emotional connection with the anxious partner just to keep them around because then they feel like they are needed and they feel like they are valued, but it, it's always on their terms. So it creates this trap because the avoidant partner withdraws, the anxious partner pursues, it goes on like that for a while. The anxious partner starts to do protest behaviors and sometimes they will withdraw or retreat to try to test the avoidant partner. So if you've ever threatened to break up with someone or if you've ever tried to make someone jealous or if you've ever tried to do anything to test your partner's commitment, that's often a sign that you have an anxious attachment and that you're in a relationship with an avoidant. And we end up in these dynamics a lot of times because it 
it recreates the the relationship that we had with our caregivers when we were very young, even without realizing it, that dynamic in early childhood is imprinted into our brains and into our nervous systems. So even though we're miserable in these relationships with people, we stay in these dynamics because it's familiar and it we're trying to get the love that we were not able to have as children. And now we have a little bit more control and autonomy as adults. So we are trying to recreate that and trying to be worthy of the love that we that we deserve. But we often go about getting our needs met in a non-healthy way. And we can end up in these patterns over and over and over again in relationships with people who are not emotionally available. And one thing that avoidant partners will often do is distance from emotions with logic. So if you're an anxious partner and you try to establish contact with an avoidant partner, they will often say, well, you shouldn't need this thing, or I don't understand why you feel like that. There's no reason to feel like that. You're being too needy. You're being too too much for me right now. I can't deal with you. And that all of those are very triggering to the anxious partner. And another thing that's really important with attachment styles is that anxious partners are more likely to blame themselves and they have a lower self-esteem. Whereas people who have an avoidant attachment style are people who have higher self-esteem and they typically do not look inward. They tend to blame their partner or blame other people as opposed to blaming themselves. So it creates this very unhealthy dynamic because obviously the relationship's not going to be healthy between people who have an unresolved attachment style in a relationship between an avoidant and an anxious partner. And when this happens, the the anxious partner blames themselves and tries to be better, tries to jump through the hoops that the avoidant partner expects them to do to maintain the relationship. And while the anxious partner is blaming him or herself, the avoidant partner is also blaming the anxious partner, which only hurts the anxious partner's self-esteem and their sense of self-worth even more. So in, in my experience working with INFJs, they're much more likely to naturally have a more anxious or disorganized attachment style, and they end up more frequently in relationships with people who have avoidant attachment styles. And the nature of INFJ's cognition and their cognitive functions really explains, I think, a lot of times why we get into these dynamics, why we get into overanalysis and fear of rejection and fear of abandonment and blaming ourselves and trying to people please and to meet the needs of our partner while completely ignoring our own needs. So avoidant partners are typically focused on getting their own needs met and they're not very empathetic or connected to the needs of their partner because it's too overwhelming for them, but they're not able to say that because they're avoidant. So instead, they put that on you and make you feel guilty and needy and like you're too much. So while the anxious partner is trying to meet the needs of their avoidant partner, the avoidant partner is trying to meet their own needs and no one's happy, no one's secure, no one feels safe, no one feels fulfilled. So it, it, it's really common for INFJs to to have an anxious attachment normally, naturally, and then to get into these patterns of relationships unhealthily with avoidant partners. And then it 
the anxious behaviors get amplified and we end up just stuck in these relationships with people who don't treat us well. We know that we're in relationships with people who don't treat us well. We know it's not good for us, but we we lack the strength and the the, the self-esteem and the self-worth to be able to detach and to break these unhealthy cycles and these unhealthy patterns. The good thing is that it's possible to start to move to a more secure attachment style. A lot of times with anxious attachments, we're always going to feel some anxiety, but learning how to change our behaviors and the ways that we cope with that anxiety is really, really important. And it's the best way to start to actually move towards security and being more self-confident. There's a lot of different ways to do this, but starting to recognize triggers and instead of analyzing or thinking the worst or checking this person's social media or just looking for evidence to try to make yourself feel better, instead of doing that, learning to communicate vulnerably our needs to our partner. And it's hard to do this if we are with an avoidant partner because it doesn't matter how well we explain our needs or how well we communicate it. And often we'll put that we'll put that on ourselves and expect ourselves if okay, if I can just communicate this correctly to this person, if I can just explain it in the right way, then they'll understand. Then then they'll meet my needs. But it's not always the communication. It, it it's also your partner's attachment style and the way that they're responding. So that's another really common thing with INFJs and anxious attachment is that we we feel like we're not explaining it clearly enough or if we can say it in the right way, then this person will understand our needs. But a lot of times it's not that they don't understand our needs, it's that they don't want to or they don't know how to meet them. But instead of them telling you that, they will just pull away and avoid because that's what avoidance do in the face of intimacy is they avoid and they will shut down their partner in an effort to maintain their own security. And they maintain their own security by shutting off intimacy, which doesn't feel good for anybody, but especially for people who have anxious attachment, it can feel debilitating and painful and agonizing. So the way to move from anxious attachment to secure attachment is learning how to to communicate your needs effectively. And your ability to do that is going to be very dependent on the way that your partner responds. So if you are in a relationship with someone who actually is emotionally available and actually wants to meet your needs, it can be a lot easier to move from an anxious attachment to a secure attachment. Because if you're feeling insecure or unsure about something and you communicate that vulnerably in a healthy way to a secure partner, they're going to make an effort to to reciprocate, to reassure you. And over time, as that trust is built and that emotional safety is built, it becomes easier for us to communicate our needs because we trust that the other person will actually respond to us instead of shutting us down or criticizing us or blaming us or dismissing us or minimizing us, which is how avoidant partners manage other people's emotions by shutting them down and dismissing and minimizing them and criticizing and making you feel like crap about yourself. So it Because our tendency is to blame ourselves, it's so important to recognize that, yes, it is on us to start to change our behaviors and the ways that we respond to our feelings of anxiety or fears of rejection. 
But also it, it's so hard to do that if you are not with a partner who actually responds to your communication in a healthy way. So it doesn't matter how hard you work to move from anxious to secure if you are with an avoidant partner who is not willing to work on their attachment style and their their behaviors and the ways that they treat you you're never going to be able to to move to a more secure attachment because part of having a secure attachment is being able to depend on your partner to to be trustworthy and to to respond to your needs and if you're not able to get that with an avoidant partner, then it, it's going to be very difficult or impossible to, to move towards security. And because people who have avoidant attachment are less likely to look inward and are more likely to blame their partner or are more likely to want to end the relationship and try to find someone else because they're always looking for the perfect partner or the ideal partner. If that's the way that the avoidant partner is going to respond, then the relationship doesn't have much hope for a future, to be totally honest. And the ways that it is kept alive is by the anxious partner. So when the anxious partner, if they do start to pull away, sometimes their worst fear does come true that the avoidant partner will not reciprocate or they won't go after you. And sometimes those relationships just kind of dissolve and evaporate. And it's scary and it's it feels destabilizing for an anxious partner, but we, we have to recognize these cycles that we get in and we have to start to take some responsibility, but take responsibility for ourselves. Because with anxious avoidant dynamics, we often will take responsibility for our partner's response and we try to say the right thing in the right way to try to make them understand us or try to make them respond. But what we're actually doing is trying to control something that we can't control or trying to control the way they respond or we are trying to control the way they feel or take responsibility for the way they feel. Those are not ours to take responsibility for. So people who have avoidant attachment, they have really strong boundaries and people who too strong of boundaries, so strong that they can't receive any love or connection. Whereas people who have an anxious attachment, they really lack boundaries because they are trying to they're always trying to feel more complete, to feel, feel more whole, to try to, to merge with their partner. And that's not necessarily a, a healthy thing. And it can become exacerbated significantly depending on the way that your partner responds. So as INFJs, it's really important that we take responsibility for what's ours if you have an avoidant partner and you talk to them about your concerns with this, if they are dismissive and don't want to work on themselves, then you have a choice to make at that point. You can't change them. You can't make them want to do internal work or personal development. And with anxious attachments, so many times we will try to fix our partners, try to fix the relationship because we feel like if we can just take control of this thing, then it will be okay and that it'll be safe for us. But we cannot do that. So if you make requests from your partner to to work on trying to change the dynamics between you, if, if your partner acknowledges that they're avoidant and that they push away intimacy and that they're fearful of commitment and that they they're not trustworthy with your with your feelings and with your needs, if they can acknowledge that and 
actually want to put work in, whether that's through therapy or any type of personal development work that helps them to increase self-awareness of, of their behaviors, if they are receptive to that, then stick around because if you're both willing to bridge that gap and to have healthier boundaries and to be able to have your emotional needs met and your attachment needs met in a healthy way, it's possible. But attachment repair is only possible if both partners truly do want to invest the time, the energy, and the work into both working on themselves in the effort to have a healthier, more constructive, supportive relationship. If your partner does not want to do those things, there's no amount of you trying to compensate for them or trying to only work on yourself in an effort to try to make them work on themselves. Or if you can fix yourself, then you'll fix the relationship. It's never going to work. And that's a really hard thing for us to wrap our heads around as INFJs. So if you are with an avoidant partner and they're not open to those things, sometimes we need to cut our losses and connect with a partner who has a secure attachment because it becomes easier to to deprogram our reassurance and validation-seeking behaviors if our partners actually turn towards us and are supportive and encouraging and turn towards us with emotional safety when we ask for it. We are only as healthy as our partner is as well if they are not willing to turn towards us and to to be compassionate instead of distancing and disconnecting then we will never be able to to work on repairing our own attachment style. And people who have a secure attachment they either lucked out and they were born into a family who was able to meet most of their needs. Not everyone is so lucky. But if if they have that more resilient type of attachment style, then they're able to to help to navigate the, the connection between you and your partner and the your relationship and your future together. They're able to to be that secure base for both of you which then in turn creates an environment of safety for you to be able to grow into your best self and to move towards a more secure attachment. So attachment styles are not things that need to be fixed or that you it's something that's wrong with you, but they are things that if you look at the ways that they affect how you show up in your relationships, if they negatively affect the way that you view yourself or the ways that you get into relationships with people, if you're getting into relationships with people who are emotionally unavailable, if your attachment style is causing these unhealthy habits and behaviors, it is possible to to work on changing and repairing into a more secure type of attachment. But it, it's not something that means you're broken or that something's wrong with you. And in some cases, INFJs, I have seen occasionally where INFJs will have a more avoidant attachment. In that case, at least from what I've seen, and I haven't seen research with attachment with MBTI specifically, so this is all anecdotal, but sometimes if INFJs are in a relationship with someone who's toxic or narcissistic or emotionally abusive, sometimes they will take on a more avoidant attachment as a means of survival. So they will emotionally detach from the partner and they are disconnected from their extroverted feeling. So they might become more cold, more critical, more detached, more 
just disconnected emotionally from their partner. But typically that occurs in a relationship if you're in a relationship with someone who is very unhealthy. I don't as often see people who are INFJs naturally have an avoidant attachment style. And I think that the extroverted feeling really determines that because because we are so in tune with other people's feelings and emotions, it it would be very hard for us to be avoidant because people who are avoidant are not at all in tune or able to empathize with their partner's feelings or emotions. And INFJs, by definition, are not built like that. With our extroverted feeling, even, even if it's an unhealthy expression of extroverted feeling in an INFJ who's been through trauma, they they still are aware and connected to their partner's emotions. People who are avoidant are not able to, to do that. So in my experience, people who have more of an avoidant attachment style are people who are more often T-types or people who might have introverted feeling in their stack as opposed to extroverted feeling. And it, it, it is possible if you pair with the, I don't want to say like the right person, but a person who has healthy attachment and healthy communication, it, it is very possible to move from an anxious attachment into a more secure way of relating. So with me, I, I very much had an anxious attachment growing up. I ended up in a lot of relationships with people who were emotionally unavailable and avoidant. And it it's almost addictive because you just are in this pattern of pursuing and trying to make this person like you and they occasionally will reciprocate or give you attention. And then that is reinforcing and rewarding and it encourages you to continue pursuing and they continue withdrawing and you just settle for these little scraps of affection or attention that people throw you and you use that little blip of emotional connection to sustain you through the rest of the relationship, which is typically comprised of an emotional drought. And we just settle for these tiny little scraps of affection and we just treat that as normal. And that's not normal. And because our partners with avoidant attachment styles are so dismissive and so quick to minimize our feelings and our experience, and we're so quick to blame ourselves, we can get really stuck in these destructive relationships. And it's up to us to break that cycle and that pattern and to to do the inner work and the, the work on yourself personally to make yourself have better boundaries, stronger boundaries, to not people please, to not put our relationship health and our our personal health in other people's hands. We have complete control over who we end up in relationships with. And the, the level of care that we are willing to accept from people or lack thereof, we cannot control our partners. We cannot control the ways that they respond to us, but we have complete control over how we respond to them. And that includes responding to their avoidant behaviors or ignoring you or avoiding you. We can't turn them into being non-avoidant, but we can decide that we are better than this and that we have more worth than settling for this really unhealthy relationship. We have it within our power to walk away. And sometimes that's the hardest part for INFJs. But I think deep down, 
in our intuition, like we know when we need to walk away. We just sometimes will rationalize it or convince ourselves that it's not so bad or that relationships are always supposed to be hard, but they're not. If you end up with someone who has a secure attachment, they will want to meet your needs. They will want to be there for you. It's not normal for people to avoid you or ignore you or dismiss you if you express having a need. It's normal to have those things. And you know what? It's normal to for people to want to meet them. It's not normal for people to turn away or dismiss you. But if we end up in these unhealthy relationships over and over again, we lose sight of what is normal. And we allow our partner to tell us what is normal. And our perception becomes so distorted that we start to blame ourselves and we don't recognize what's healthy or what's not when our partner is the one who's telling us what how things should be. But their perspective is not healthy either. And it's on us to recognize that and to value ourselves enough to walk away if we need to. So take a look at this for yourself. Take a look if you are Someone who is more secure, has lower levels of anxiety, who's open to intimacy, and who has low levels of avoidance, that would be a secure attachment. If you were someone who feels more anxious about uncertainty and feels fearful that the partner is rejecting or will abandon you, that's more consistent with an anxious attachment style. If you were someone who is more detached, more avoidant, more disconnected, more overwhelmed by other people's emotions and not wanting to deal with them and you dismiss them, that's more consistent with avoidant. And if you are very fearful of intimacy and want connection, but at the same time push it away, then that's more consistent with disorganized. So take a look at this for yourself. And if you're interested in learning more about this, there is a book that's called Attached. It is by Dr. Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. I highly recommend that. It's a really good lowdown on looking at attachment types within yourself, looking at them within your partner, and starting to move towards a more secure attachment style. And then there's also an Instagram account. I linked it in the show notes, but it's called The Secure Relationship. She creates a ton of amazing content about attachment styles and different ways that you can communicate depending on your partner's attachment style. And she just gives really helpful information because I think the more that we learn about this, the more that we have a language to describe it and to recognize it, the more empowered that we are to to change it and to take control of the things that we can control and to have a more empowered approach to our lives. So I hope this was helpful. Aside from MBTI, attachment style and attachment theory is has been the most helpful thing for me in my own relationships and in other people that I've seen learn more about it. It's been incredibly helpful. So I think the combination of attachment theory plus MBTI can be really, really helpful and eye-opening and enlightening to, to help you to have more connected relationships that are actually healthy for you and that bring out the best in you and that make you feel like your best self because that's what our relationships are meant to do. Conflict is inevitable and we will always have disagreements with our partners. That is completely normal. But the way that our partners respond to our attachment requests and the ways that they respond to disagreements or conflict, that that is what really determines the, the health of your relationship. So don't look at it in terms of 
if we're always getting along, if we're never fighting, if we're always connected, it, that is not a healthy gauge. But if we look at the, the actual ways that we connect and the ways that we communicate and respond to ourselves and to our partners, that is what really matters the most. And attachment theory can be really, really helpful for that. So if you guys have questions with this, as you look at your own attachment style and the attachment style of your partner and the patterns that you may have been in with your past relationships or how to move towards a more secure type of attachment. If you have questions with that, let me know because there's a lot of different ways to look at this and sometimes having real life examples with your own relationships can be helpful to to wrap your head around it and to hear examples from other people's relationships as well. So if you've questions with this, uh, shoot me either an email or you can connect with me on Instagram at infj.growth or you can go to infjgrowth.com forward slash podcast and you can send me a question there and I will answer it on an upcoming Q&A Thursday. So if you have any questions with anything about relationships, but definitely with attachment types, just because it can be so helpful, let me know. I would love to hear from you guys. Thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you for listening. I am excited to see you on Thursday and I will see you then. Bye.